welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weitzman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, I am covering the news to know for the week of December 2nd. I'm going to pick up on a couple of articles today. We're going to end with ICD-10 codes that apply to Thanksgiving. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. So the first article we're going to cover, though, is actually it's a video that comes out of Healthcare IT News from November 27th, and it is building chatbots that speak the patient's language. And this was an interview that was taking place at the, I think it was the American Heart Association uh, conference. And it, they were interviewing uh, a woman by the name of Lexi Kaplan from Conversation Health, who is the one of the co-founders of this, I'm assuming it's a startup chatbot company. And it was interesting what she was saying about the proliferation of chatbots and how this appears to be just on the beginning of its growth curve. And I'm going to agree with that. And if you're not familiar with chatbot technology or how you could or uh, should be looking at it in the future, I definitely think it's something you want to pay attention to. So right now, most of these are patient-facing, and they're talking about having like a nurse in your pocket. Really great for patients who don't know what to do after hours, and it's very difficult to staff call centers 24-7, so perhaps we can have chatbots take some of the lift off of the humans. But what she mentioned, although I didn't go into great detail in the video, is about doctor-to-doctor communications. And I think that starts to get really interesting because sometimes when I'm calling one of my colleagues, it is just to get my patient in a little bit sooner. Do I need to actually speak to the doctor or would a chatbot work if I say, hey, I really need to get Mrs. Smith into your practice tomorrow to follow up on this issue as a mutual patient. Get her in. We'll let the chatbot do that perhaps. Or Perhaps it's a relatively straightforward question to the endocrinologist about, hey, I've already got this patient on these three oral meds. What would you do next? And I'm wondering, will we get to the point in time where a chatbot could start taking some of those questions? Now you're saying, oh, that's cold and impersonal. Yeah, perhaps. But the days of doctors meeting each other in the physician's lounge before uh, they start their office hours in the morning is is not happening and so we're all pressed for time i really just want the information and perhaps some automation could be in our future so think about it and keep your eye on this space uh these chat bots they're not only text now some of them are becoming more conversational if you haven't seen google's uh, chat bot that uh, orders chinese food and schedules a hair appointment it sounds very, very close to a human. So we're getting there. Interesting things to watch. Let's go to the next article. This one, it also comes out of Healthcare IT News from uh, November 28th, 2019, Patient Data, Access, Privacy, and Ownership. That's the title. This one was more of an international article coming out of a HIMSS conference from Australia, the Digital Health Summit. And they're talking about who owns the data. I thought this one was interesting because they're quoting a CMIO here from Singapore. So they're debating who owns the data here, and I'll read you two paragraphs. 
The reality is that providers, patients, and health IT vendors all have some justifiable proprietorship over patient information to a certain extent, but that reality can be quite complex. And this is a professor, I'm not even going to try the name here, but they're the CMIO of Ministry of Health at, in Singapore. They explained that it is accurate that all the data belongs to the patient. Things like vital signs, imaging, and laboratory results all belong to the patient. However, the part about who owns the patient information can be controversial is the assessment and the professional opinion of the clinician. That is because the clinician makes a point of the assessment from the original patient data and he or she is then held liable for it, in a sense, professionally. So technology vendors probably have the least say about who owns the data as they're simply intermediaries who host the data, but they have no ownership rights. I think this has come up more in the news, particularly around this Google and Ascension deal that took place and was all the news last week. I'm not going to go rehash all that, but we always wonder who owns the data and everyone likes to say the patient owns it. Well, really, does the patient, are they allowed to delete data? Are they allowed to tell you what to put in the chart? They can ask for a correction. You can have an addendum that indicates the patient has requested X, Y, and Z be updated to their chart, but if you don't agree with it, it doesn't mean you delete it from their chart. So that concept that the patient owns the data, a little controversial. I still believe that for the moment, it tends to be the health systems that are owning the data. I think as the technology gets better and empowering the patients to own and aggregate and um, be the caretaker of the data is wonderful. I just don't see that there yet on large scale. Next article. GE Healthcare introduces Edison Developer Program to spur AI advance, advancements. Mike Milliard, November 27, 2019. I'll read you three paragraphs here and we'll, we'll talk about this. So with its new Edison Developer Program, GE Healthcare hopes to speed the adoption and utility of artificial and machine learning applications and develop services for health systems, the company announced this week. I'll stop just there. It's like, really? They're just getting into this now? Microsoft, Google, Amazon, um, all of their competitors, all the EHR vendors are already in this, but now GE says they want to get in. So my first reaction was, eh, so what? All right, I'll keep reading. GE's Edison platform is designed to help providers gain easier access to market-ready algorithms and apps by integrating them into existing workflows, enabling them to derive more value from their existing technologies. So does everyone else's. Uh, with the new Edison Developer Program, GE Healthcare says it will offer a variety of services meant to help accelerate AI developers' ability to build models to improve operational and clinical outcomes and also help them scale and deploy applications across GE's own customer base. Now, this is where it gets interesting, is this next line. Officials say the Edison Developer Program offers new potentials for innovating around data aggregation for clinical context and advanced visualization. So my first reaction was, okay, GE, you're just really slow. The challenge really isn't creating the algorithms anyway. The challenge is implementing them and having effective interventions based on the algorithms and then getting your people to adopt them. That's the hard part here, GE. You're late to the game and what you're offering isn't what we have problems with. Except advanced visualization is probably an area where GE can excel. And they have a ton of experience with imaging tools and they probably have a ton of data. And 
that's very interesting, something worth watching at a GE. The other line about data aggregation for clinical context, that means a lot to me because we struggle with all the data that's out there. And what docs really want is information, not data. There's a huge difference between someone dropping a six inch thick paper chart on your desk versus someone giving you the 10 bullet points that are most important out of all of that stack. And a scanned in PDF of that six inch paper chart is no better than the paper chart itself. We're not getting information from it. So if they really have data aggregation for clinical context up and coming, we need that and we need that badly. So I thought that was interesting, something to watch. Otherwise, it's just a press release from GE and it's all vaporware until someone shows us that they actually have something truly interesting. Um, this article is interesting, it comes out of CNBC. CNBC's Christy Farr looks at doctors, actually I'm, I'm getting this off of histalk.com, but it's uh, referring to the CNBC article. Uh, Christy Farr looks at doctors who join digital health companies, but then clash with the development side of the house. Those involved say that doctors are accustomed to making decisions solo rather than being the quote token hire who is expected to rubber stamp developer decisions. They are sometimes seen as the unwelcome voice of reality in calling out product or company flaws that impact health, such as first do no harm clashes with the move fast and break things. A diagnostic company CEO, quote, flipped out when a newly hired doctor questioned the clinical and business wisdom of using staffing company doctors to write test prescriptions uh, for, for clinical diagnostics without reviewing patients thoroughly. A former digital health doctor says he is yet to meet a happy healthcare person in the digital health field. Developers complain about the black and white opinions of doctors who are not used to being challenged. While doctors bristle at Silicon Valley's emphasis on obsessively delighting users, that doesn't make sense in medical situations. I bring this article up because as CMIOs and as physician informaticists, many of us have interest in perhaps the vendor side or what's on the other side of the hospital, not necessarily working in a hospital all of our lives. And many doctors that I've interviewed and some more that are coming up have made that leap. I have to say some of them are very happy. I can't say that um, there isn't a single happy person out there in the digital health field. I understand though some of these challenges. That's interesting about the move fast and break things doesn't always typically fly with traditional doctor. Hey, we need to be slow and reduce risk. That I could see being a culture conflict. So doctors that are considering this move, definitely you have to select the right personality to, to make this kind of move in your career. If you are someone that is risk adverse, going into a startup might not be the, the best fit for you. For those who are very comfortable with that risk and understand this move fast and break things, but yet can help the technology side, the developers understand the parts about healthcare that they really have no clue about, I think you could have a real impact there. So just an interesting article about that, about that. All right. I'm going to cover maybe another uh, three articles or so. Relatively light news cycle, um, I guess, plus the Thanksgiving Day holiday. So, but here's an interesting one. NCH Healthcare sues LeapFrog over a D grade. This one comes from Becker's Hospital Review. Uh, it's a couple weeks old. It's November 8th. 
but I still liked it because I hadn't seen it before. Naples, Florida-based NCH Healthcare System is suing LeapFrog Group after the company gave the healthcare system a D for patient safety. Uh, LeapFrog, a nonprofit watchdog group, which is voluntary, by the way, so I'm not sure if you're getting a D why you're doing this, but anyway, they did. They released their hospital safety grades on November 7th, assigning letter grades A through F. And NCH lawsuit was filed before this was even released. So they knew their grade. Anyway, NCH said the poor rating for patient safety is false and misleading, according to court documents. The healthcare system said it would comment once the litigation is over. LeapFrog commented, though, the president and CEO came out saying LeapFrog methodology has been reviewed and refined for more than seven years by national patient safety experts. She cited LeapFrog's First Amendment rights to public grades for NCH hospitals. In response to the lawsuit, the uh, CEO said NCH resources would be better spent on initiatives to improve patient safety uh, rather than the lawsuit I think she was um, referring to. And uh, NCH Healthcare did not respond to request for comments on that. Uh, haven't you always just wanted to sue some of these um, regulatory or uh, other accrediting bodies. It just sounds so awesome just to be really pissed off and then go, you know what, I'm gonna sue you. Could you ever imagine suing the Joint Commission? No, it's not gonna happen. It's just, just to extract some pound of flesh for all the stuff they put you through that you don't always find incredibly valuable, like the height of the fire extinguisher off of the floor. Really, is that something that we have to go and focus on? And uh, for LeapFrog, it, has to do with the ton of alerts that they actually dictate must hit the physician. Can't hit anyone else in the care team. That one drives me nuts. Not that I'm going to go and sue LeapFrog. I just thought that here's someone who got fed up enough to go ahead and try to extract their pound of flesh from LeapFrog. Anyway, next one here. Um, also out of Becker's Healthcare, uh, Becker's Hospital Review. Who should lead your digital transformation? Teams of growth-minded high-potential hybrid workers is what they're saying here. This is from Andrea Park, Wednesday, November 27th. Um, the most, uh, I'll read you a paragraph, just one. The most effective digital transformations include a robust pipeline of digital talent, according to the Harvard Business Review. One that does not require prohibitively high costs to recruit or train, but instead focus on strategic hiring practices beyond the traditional search for specialized digital experts of the highest pedigree. And they say, look for these four things. Look for, uh, look for potential, not credentials. Value soft skills as much as technical skills. Think about teams, not individuals. And incentivize employees to grow. And I'm going to say, hey, this is healthcare. Think about your clinicians. Think about your doctors and nurses. If you think that there's value in this digital transformation, you're going to want some buy-in to happen here from your end users you really ought to be thinking about putting clinicians to lead this digital transformation. I'm on my soapbox now, if you can't tell, because they didn't mention putting a clinician in anywhere in this article. And I really think that's important. If, if hospitals and health systems have to hire from outside the industry to cause that disruption, I get it, that sometimes you just wanna bring in that rock star from Amazon who's gonna to totally revamp everything, but they have quite the learning curve to one, understand your co company and culture, and two, to understand healthcare. How about training up our own people? How about investing 
in our own people that are in our system that have the interest, have the desire, and want to help the system succeed in digital transformation. And gee, one place you might want to start looking at would be with CMIOs or provider informaticists because those are people who tend to be tech savvy and interested in digital transformation. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Um, oh, this one. Great Plains Health cancels some procedures after a ransomware attack. This was Wednesday, November 27th, also out of Becker's Hospital Review. And so they are working to restore their email, their EHR, and other computer services after being targeted in a ransomware attack on November 25th. Hospital officials have turned to paper forms and are using Facebook to keep the public informed. They do not believe any patient information has been exposed. They had to cancel some non-emergency appointments and procedures earlier in the week, but now the hospital is operating as usual. The FBI and other cybersecurity experts are at the hospital working to solve the issue. Um, the Chief Development Officer of Great Plains Health is telling others in the area to be cautious. It sounds like they're worried that these hackers may have gotten some data and they're saying, hey, if you're receiving any suspicious phone calls or if it's things that sound too good to be true, it probably is. Just make sure you're not giving out your social security number or anything like that. Now, that's an odd statement to make in my mind because I don't believe that any patient information has been exposed. Then why would you make a statement like that? But anyway. Uh, just another example of a hospital that got taken down in these ransomware attacks. If you have not been hit yet, it sounds like it's just a matter of time. And I am right now in the process of thinking about what it would look like if we had to print our order sets on our downtime uh, printers and systems. Because our general admission order set is something close to 47 pages long when you print it out. And that has to do with the formatting. It's just horrible. I don't know if you ever tried to print out an order set out of Epic. It is a nightmare, particularly if you have dynamic features in there. So if it's a, a patient that is over the age of 65, perhaps you are showing some orders versus if they're under 18, you're showing some different orders. And that kind of dynamic stuff, well, when you print it, it all prints out. And so the more interesting and innovative and uh, dynamic you've made your order sets, the bigger nightmare it is on a downtime printout. So we're looking to see, hey, how can we make just some simplified downtime ones? I hope you're thinking about this as well. Take a look, print out, do a downtime drill and print out some of your order sets to see what it would look like if you had to run your hospital on paper for not just an hour or two like you do during an upgrade, but for a week, what would that look like for you? It's not pretty. Those doctors who always tell me they're grumpy and say, I wish we could go back to paper. Yeah, well, I hope we don't ever get to give you that chance. Um, the cybersecurity risks here are just scary. All right, uh, ICD-10 codes that apply to Thanksgiving. Uh, let's see, W71.43, pecked by a turkey. W61.42 is struck by a turkey, and W61.49 is other contact with Turkey. I cannot believe that someone has put effort into all of these different complications of Turkey assault. Uh, let's see, we've got um, R14.1, which is gas pain. Uh, Z63.1, problems in relationship with in-laws. W21.01, struck by football. And 
Y04.0 assault by unarmed brawl or fight. Hopefully your Thanksgiving went better than that. And hopefully none of these ICD-10 codes apply to you. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.